Welcome to the Who Shuffled Tabletop Podcast. Episode 16. So you want to GM. Welcome to Who Shuffled. I'm Tom Tanner, and with me today is my buddy Philip Watson. How's it going, Phil? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. We are going to be doing our D&D RPG night that we've already recorded, but we're going to be finishing it up and hopefully putting it out next week. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. I mean, the first... uh... First half there, I think uh, just everything was going together. You, you and uh, Ryan and Hugh were just on fire, and you know, we were just having a good time. Yeah, can't wait to finish it up. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. I don't want to give anything away ahead of time, <laughs> but it was. I don't think I've ever felt those kind that that type of you know concern for my character that early in any rpg setting so i really it was definitely way different than any other rpg situation i've ever you know been in so i thought it was very unique i'm excited for the i mean we're just talking about like the first the very very beginning you know i mean i know this thing gets crazy at the end so that's got me even more pumped oh oh, you mean the part when i kill everybody off right right so (laughs) probably got what about 15 more minutes left of the campaign before you kill us well you know it depends on on how much we want to prolong the agony well, we'll get to that. But um, so you are much more of a RPGer, I would think, than board gamer. Is that right, or am I not making that right assumption? That's right. I haven't had a lot of experience playing all the fun board games you guys talk about. Although listening to the podcast makes me want to dive in and start doing that. Um, but I've been playing RPGs since I guess the '90s of various kinds, and that. Uh, it, it's a lot easier over things like Discord and Tabletop Simulator and uh, Roll20 to, to get people together for that. And it seems like, well, with board games, uh, you can do that virtually, but it's it's not always quite as easy. Yeah, I can see that. And so much of the, the RPG is just done in the imagination, so you don't have to worry about cards and replicating those virtually or tokens or boards and things like that. Right. But they're doing some great things on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, you essentially, you just need a microphone and some sort of, or even, a, I mean, like Skype or something, you could do a full RPG session that way. I mean, you don't you don't need all those tools that you're talking about, but, I mean, they're there and they're great. But like, like you mm-hmm. said, with the board game, virtual board games, you do have to have some sort of medium, <laughs> you know, to play them on. But, um, well, you have played um, Shadows of Brimstone with us. You know, you got a character in there. Yeah. And How have you enjoyed that so far? That's really cool because, uh, you know, one thing I kind of enjoy is, is horror and, like, uh, Weird West and uh, kind of Call of Cthulhu type of stuff. And so that's really the brimstone setting to a T. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, they, they've got a, a very creative mix of characters. And... Uh, 
yeah, it's it's a, a challenging game where you have to think kind of strategically and, and think as a team. But you know, anything can happen, and well, I think we've we've all kind of flirted with death in that game. <laughs> I've done a lot more than flirt with it. <laughs> I've been knocked out many times, but um, my experience with that game is the more I play it, the more I like it. But it's it's getting very very uh meta gaming for me i don't know another way to say it like it's getting really min maxi um which is okay and i like that it's not taken away from the game but i feel like as we level up and we're getting more and more gear and stuff that it's you know shine further away from the exploration and the the thrill of the new um, and uh, you know go into the next room like what are we going to see and it's becoming more of a like I said like a min maxi kind of technical puzzle if that makes sense yeah I could see that not, not in a bad way but it's just kind of getting that way you know I guess it happens in a lot of games especially as you those that have that kind of level up mechanic and allow you to get more powerful since I mean horror is really all about being depowered and, and being at a disadvantage so if you get too powerful that kind of all evaporates well and also we're only in like the first third of the book you know of all the scenarios so really oh gosh after all those games oh man yeah i mean we're not even we hadn't even scratched the surface because i mean the the first thing like we're technically in the last one or two scenarios of the like intro of like the beginner like how to play <laughs> almost wow uh, and even that has a steep learning curve yeah it does i mean you know like i said it's, it's, it can I be mean, punishing we've probably had gosh i mean we're probably getting close to 50 hours into that game now um or i am so that should give you an idea how big and long this is and there's so many expansions and stuff for it we haven't even touched the the hex crawl stuff and the swamps and anyway and we're not, wow. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be a swan, I mean, a Shadows of Brimstone episode, but I love that game. But yeah, it is it is interesting how it's really shifting gears for me, you know. But I am still really liking it. Well, um, well, I want to give you an opportunity too, just to go ahead and if you want to say anything a little bit about yourself. I mean, the listeners out there, this is the first time you've appeared on the podcast, even though we've already recorded the other. We kind of did a little intro then but no one's heard that yet so if you want to kind of just go over anything you want to say let them know and then i'm going to give you these little give you this little questionnaire of stuff just to kind of it'll be a little fun thing to to ask you to kind of get more out of you but but go ahead and just whatever you want to let us know well that's good because uh yeah i was kind of so focused on doing the game last time that uh my brain wasn't really working when you asked the questions and it was Kind of just uh, derp to derp to derp my way through that. So thanks for the second <laughs> chance. Okay. Um, so let's see here. RPG-wise, I've been playing RPGs since the 90s. Uh, back in high school, I was first uh, introduced to uh, an RPG that's still around called Rifts, which has great setting, but uh, when you're talking about min-maxing in uh, Brimstone, this one's also very problematic, and it's very easy to, to min-max. But I guess, you know, when you're a high school kid, that can be kind of fun. But, uh, you know, from there moved on to some other games. A uh, big one in, in high school is also Star Wars, using the original uh, D6 rules, which probably still my favorite game ever. Just a, a nice, very simple, very cinematic, uh, and kind of universal rules. Uh, college actually got to play Dungeons & Dragons for the first time, and this was still the AD&D. 
in the days of, of THACO and some of the other more bizarre acronyms. Uh, and there had a, a great gaming group that actually was was focused on not just you know hack and slash, but but actually role playing and learned a lot from them. And a uh, DM who built this very impressive world all by himself. So we weren't playing kind of the standard D and D world. Then third edition came out, and that fixed a lot of the weirdness in the uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and it, a great world. Um, played some some GURPS, and not just the uh, Star Wars game that you did a great job uh, GMing, but uh, tried tried some other genres with that spies, uh, superheroes, a few other things. Um, there was a space opera, um, and a few other weird one shots, and uh, you know now in this day and age with uh, Skype and Discord and things like that, it makes it even easier to get together with people. You don't have to necessarily all be in the same location anymore. And I think that's kind of brought about almost a nice second wind, especially when you're older and you have family and kids and other kind of responsibilities and you can't just take off a weekend to uh, play things anymore. So that's about it. And now, currently, been playing 5th edition in the game that uh, Ryan put together. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. And then the uh, Star Wars game that you were running. And then another GURPS game, which is more of a, a psychic spies type of thing, that uh, a friend of mine back f uh, from the old college uh, days is putting together. And uh, then uh, I'm working on my, my own, which is kind of an Indiana Jones type of pulp adventure, 1930s type of thing. And then uh, you had... Uh, contacted me and said, hey, you want to try doing a and d one-shot for my podcast? And I was like, sure. So that's kind of where I am. Well, awesome. Yeah. So like I thought, you have about 100 to 1 <laughs> on my experience. Um, so I was going to ask you, have you ever played the game Fiasco? No, but I uh, saw uh, Will Wheaton's uh, uh, video on that, and that looks like a lot of fun. And remember, you were talking about that with Ryan, and... That seems like it's not just a good RPG, but a good kind of party game. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to pick your pick your party <laughs> very carefully. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely made to be a one night kind of thing um, for sure. I mean, this, that's all it is. But uh, we had a really good time with it. But that's just kind of a different, you know, style RPG, but or role playing. Um, and then Savage Worlds, I've never played it, but I know it's one of the really, really, really popular ones. I don't know if you'd ever had any experience with it at all. No, I've never heard of that one. Okay. When I was doing my research for the GURPS thing, that was, it pretty much had, it was like the one that you do, like if you want to do a Star Wars, like custom setting, like everybody was like Savage World, Savage World, Savage World. But then mm. I just did more, you know, if you didn't want to do the actual Star Wars ones, you know, if you wanted a universal system that could be Star Wars. So that's what we were looking for. And I don't know if GURPS is the answer. And maybe mm -hmm. if you're doing it, <laughs> then it could be. But man, that was such a challenge for me, uh, which we'll get to that later. But um, but anyway, that was the only one that I was I just had it on my mind that you might have played it before. Curbs is, is a, a great system. It's just kind of hard to, to GM. You really have to to know it backwards and forwards. 
and uh, my my friend back in Atlanta, he's he's really good at that. But like, if I were going to do it, I'd have to be flipping back and looking at tables like every five minutes. Well, that was me, and I I was doing that and failing <laughs> miserably because I kept forgetting everything. But anyway, like I said, we're, hopefully we'll get to that during our topic. But um, so I, I did want to do this little questionnaire for you. This will be kind of fun, maybe. Okay. We're just going to fly through this. So number one, th- this actually came from, I want to give credit. This is, this came from um, one of the Secret Cabal things. We were just talking about that. Oh, yeah. Still one of my favorite favorite podcasts. And um, But this is something that they did. Number one, if you could have one board game made from an existing intellectual property, what would it be? And you can apply this to anything. You don't have to, you don't have to be a board game since you're more of an RP mm-hmm. here. But what IP would you like to see? Um come to life on in any form of tabletop maybe not come to life but maybe come back to life and that is ghostbusters i've always been a sucker for the ghostbusters franchise i'm i even yeah. like the uh, uh remake with kate mckinnon and all the other people who came out a couple of years ago uh but that one in the 80s had a a rpg set which is sadly out of print and very hard to find but i think that would be a very fun world just that nice blend of kind of scary and funny at the same time that would yeah. just more than ripe for somebody to bring back as a tabletop rpg there is a really good uh, ghostbusters board game which i have yeah, i picked that up uh, last year and got to play that a few times but uh that was yeah a lot of fun and i'd, I'd love to see kind of go beyond the tabletop um, board game and end into more of a uh, imagination RPG type of thing. Which, I mean, that's another thing about GURPS, right? You could do it in GURPS, probably. Yeah, but then I'd have to learn GURPS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, like the Savage Worlds, that's the other one. Like I said, you could probably do it as well, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of work to do something like that. But And I'm getting old. I, I, I don't want to learn any more new RPG systems unless they're really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Which, I mean, we're looking at Fate and Genesis. I don't know if you're familiar with either of those, but I remember hearing Fate in uh, the Adventure Zone podcast because they did that for one of their. Uh... They did the one that the dad did. Uh... Yeah, that seemed like a neat system. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think the Fate die only goes like negative three, positive three. I think is all it is, and so every roll is that. You know, so it really simplifies the roles, I guess, in a, in a way. But and I also like how it was very collaborative between the players and the GM. That like invoking the aspects and all of that and the advantage stuff. Yeah, that that's yeah. really cool. Like you, basically for those that listeners that don't know we're getting off topic again, but the um yeah, like if you the difference in the roles determines the damage, right? Or the how severe something is or how successful something is. So if you roll like a six and the person rolls a three, then you look at the chart and you go, if there's a difference of three, you do this. Well, if that's actual damage you're taking, um, you can choose to take, what do they call it? It's like, um, not exhaustion. It's, um, something bad happens, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. But yeah, but yeah, like you're saying, like they have the choice of, oh, I don't want to take like damage or, or whatever. I'm going to take a, an aspect yeah. or or whatever the word is. So yeah, it's like you can like offer something to the GM and he's like, okay, yeah, you can do that. And it's, it's neat. Like you can choose your own like disadvantage that you're taking on your character. So And involves the players more and it also kind of takes a little bit of the load off the GM. Yeah, yeah. More collaborative storytelling, which is kind of what you said a while ago. So yeah. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite type of game? Hmm. That can be genre or... Probably Monopoly. 
<laughs> that type, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, whatever you call that. I mean, uh, you know, gr- grew up playing it and probably just played it to death. And yeah, after listening to to you guys talk about it, I was probably playing it wrong, too. So maybe if I tried playing it right, I'd like it again. Probably. But it, it just always seemed like it took forever to get going. And then, you know, somebody would pull out in the lead and they'd, they'd be the winner, but it would take a little while for the rest of us to crash and burn. And so I'd, I'd rather have something kind of started off a lot faster and then uh, ended a lot quicker. You know, what, once, once somebody was clearly in the lead, it's like, okay, game over. But... Yeah, that could just be that I was playing it wrong as a kid. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that too. I think that um, there's a lot of people out there that just have this, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have unwarranted monopoly hate from those bad experiences. And we might have talked about this last time. I don't remember. But yeah, I think it, I think more, much, much, much more people, especially hobby board gamers, would actually enjoy it more if they replayed it with an open mind and didn't have all those negative <laughs> memories you know hovering over them so um but whatever you know it's um it's it's not in my top 100 games or anything you know <laughs> so i mean but it's still i think it gets a bad rep but but i'm with you i understand i think it is that's what everybody associates it with is those long games that never ended and you know somebody getting mad and <laughs> you know quitting halfway through that's all you ever hear but yeah but anyway Okay, we'll go to the next one. This was more your speed, I think. What is your favorite RPG class if you had to choose a stereotypical class? And this could be in any system, you know, but... Probably the Rogue in, in 3rd Edition Dungeons & Dragons. I haven't really tried the 5th Edition yet, but uh, the 3rd Edition Rogue was just very flexible. Had a lot of skills, could be a diplomat, could be a con man or an assassin or something like that. So there's a lot of flexibility in there. Plus, you know, they could either, um, they could uh, multi-class and be like a wizard or something like that, or even a fighter be some kind of, uh, kind of dirty tricks fighter who could, um, you know, stab you in the back when you're not looking. But that's just kind of one class that you could do a whole lot of things with. And I, I find that as I play more RPGs, I'm kind of gravitating away from the games where they just have a few classes to pick. I, I like more of the open-ended ones where you can kind of put together a, a character from scratch no matter you know without having to put it into a certain box and then kind of customizing it inside the box but the the third edition 3.5 edition rogue was one of those classes that was just so versatile you could do just about anything with it yeah i see that yeah i agree with you the open-ended classes that can just kind of make whatever you want it's a lot more work it takes a lot more effort i feel in any system to make those but I think it's worth it, and it's always way more rewarding, in my opinion. But all right, so the next one is how do you learn games? And this is, you know, more board games. Do you, and I guess what they're asking here is, do you just read the rule book? Do you watch videos online? Do you do a combination of that? Do you just jump right in? What's your learning process? I think uh, nowadays, uh, with just all the resources, um, it's it's a combination. You know, read it, but also watch people playing it. And, and get some ideas, especially when it comes to RPGs, because there's just so many ways that you can adjust the rules. So, um, yeah, you, you watch people play or, or you uh, read people's kind of reviews and, and see what they think worked, what didn't. And then you, you try it and see what works for you and what doesn't. And then you can kind of come up with something that as long as everyone agrees on, you know, 
that these are, are the kind of custom rules, something that uh, really can make things fun as, as much fun as possible for everybody. So you kind of just use all the resources available to you. All right, this one says, name a game that totally surprised you. It could be for the good or the bad. Maybe the one that totally surprised me was probably like the first game that uh, you know be the kind that that you like. You know, back in the the nineties, I played Flux for the first time, and you know, up until then, just kind of played the the standard uh, American pantheon of of board and card games. You know, Uno, Risk, Monopoly, Battleship, Connect Four, stuff like that, and tried playing Flux for the first time, and that blew my mind. Because I don't know if uh, you or the listeners have ever played it, but it's uh, a game that's kind of like Calvin Ball. You keep on changing the rules. You play cards that modify the rules and modify the goals and things like that. And that kind of freedom and that kind of uh, new spin on things just totally blew my mind. I think probably Flex is still one of my favorite card games. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree (laughs) on Flux. Oh, you don't like Flux? I've played it quite a few times, and uh, I mean, I'll play it. I, I played it maybe two weeks ago, actually. was not my choice. <laughs> I just went along with the group. I mean, I don't ever want to, you know, if somebody mm. pulls out a game they really want to play it, I'll just play it. I don't care if it's, I mean, I would have to, it'd have to be something just, I don't know. I can't think of a game that I would just refuse to play with someone if they were wanting to, you know. I never liked it so much, but I see the appeal. I agree with all that. It is really neat. It's a neat concept. Um, which I've played Starflux more than any of the others, and I've actually heard that it it has a lot of it has a tendency to go long, and that's really all. I, when I when I think about Flux or think about Starflux, especially, I think about a long, drawn out like fifteen twenty minute game, which is pretty long for Flux. Um, yeah, I've never had one that really went that long. Right, so like 15, 20 minutes and you're just you're working, struggling this whole time, and then all of a sudden it's like oh, I win. You know, or somebody wins and you're like, oh, okay. Like, it's anticlimactic to me, because it's like you know, it's so random and like nobody's, what's the strategy? You know, you're just like everything's changing so fast, it's just like somebody just always wins by accident almost, you know, so I don't know, but you know, maybe the regular ones are, I have heard much, much, much better things about some other versions of Flux, but, but again, I mean, we all have a lot of those stories. Munchkin is another one where Munchkin has kind of like drawn in so many people to the hobby. You know, they play that the first time and I've never been a real big fan of it, but it's kind of like when you play those, those first games that kind of, it's like your aha game that kind of opens your mind to it. You know, it's always going to have yeah. have that special place. So that's what it sounds like that you're kind of describing there. Like for me, that was Catan. You know, the first time I played Catan, that was the first game I ever played that was not Monopoly or whatever, you know. And and it was just, you know, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I didn't know board games could be like this, you know. And yeah. So, so I'm with you. And um, I'm you know, but that's the beauty of this this hobby. There's so many different kinds of games and so many different tastes out there. So I, I recognize that it's a highly reviewed, well loved game. So I'm in the minority. You know. Hmm. <laughs> well, and yeah, you know, I'm not totally as much on board with some of the later ones where they put in creepers and a few other things. So, like, I, I make sure that I always pull out a few cards that just seem to be more there for. Oh, hey, let's just throw something cool in. But they, they, they don't really add a lot to gameplay i will definitely play flex with you sometime we'll get on tabletop simulator if nothing else but all right last one in a horribly dystopian future 
all tabletop games have been outlawed. If you're going to stash one game from the tyrannical government, what game would you hide? Can I say Flux again? Sure. Because, I mean, that's uh, kind of a great evangelizing tool. Uh, just because the rules are, are printed on every single card. So it, I found it very easy to get people to, to try it, pick up the rules pretty quickly, because everything's just kind of right there in front of them. Not really a whole lot to remember. Mine would be MageNet, surprise. I could see that. <laughs> Mostly because I could play by myself. <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this dystopian future, I might be sneaking around playing my own games, but... Another thing is, like, cards would get worn out pretty quick, too. Oh, that! but you put them in the little plastic sleeves. Oh, okay, sleeves. Okay. So we got sleeves in the in the future, of course. Yeah, because probably, you know, it, it's it's like the, the baseball card people who are uh, banning everything. So you can still get sleeves for the baseball cards. Of course. They're Nazis anyway, right? <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's get to some games we played. Okay. Okay, let's talk about some games we played. You were telling me that you got to play with mutual buddy Hugh and some other friends. Um, you got to play Five Minute Dungeon. Is that right? Yeah, he had that uh, with him, and I couldn't really stay very long. Hugh uh, said, well, hey, uh, would you like to play this? It's only going to take five minutes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. You know, it's, it's only going to take five minutes, and like an hour later, uh, we're still not done. And he said, no, no, this is really five minutes. And he, he showed me the box. And uh, it, it's uh, a neat little idea where basically uh, you have several players and they each kind of play a different fantasy archetype. We had like a fighter and a mage and uh, I was a, a ranger. And you have a deck of different attacks. So like the fighter would have more like sword attacks. The mage would have more like spell attacks. And the ranger had more arrow type attacks. And uh, then you had to go through a deck of enemies. And then once you kind of went through the deck, at the end there was a boss. And to f defeat an enemy, the enemy card would have on it things like icons for you know, two swords. So if people played two sword cards, then that uh, enemy was vanquished and you could go on to the next. But until you could play those cards, uh, you, you were stuck there. And then the kicker was you had five minutes to go through this entire deck of bad guys and then make it to the boss. And the other thing you had to worry about is uh, if you went through all the cards in your deck, well, you were out and you couldn't really do anything anymore. So there's you know, some resource management, there's a lot of speed, there's a lot of communication because uh, you know some people have special attacks where they can, can do things faster without having to worry about having the right cards. And yeah, it does only take five minutes. It's it's very exhilarating to go through that. And if I had to compare it to a video game, it kind of reminded me of going through and playing Gauntlet back in the arcades, where you're just facing hordes of bad guys and, and fighting them as frantically as possible, cooperatively. We just needed somebody to say, like, Barbarian needs food, or something like that to get the whole experience. But uh, yeah, totally recommend it. It was a lot of fun. And thanks to Hugh for uh, introducing me to it. I've seen it played, but I've never played it myself. Sounds cool. I'd like to give it a try. So actually, me and Ryan and Adam got to play a game of Shadows Over Camelot. And we had a really good time with it. Um, I had played it once or twice before 
way back. It was one of the first games we got, like within the first maybe six months or or so, of me kind of getting into the hobby. And um, it was during my Days of Wonder kick. You know, I, I had we have about ticket to ride, and we have like a whole Days of Wonder section. We got Small World, and I don't know all of them, but we had maybe six or eight of them in a line. And um, Shadows of a Camelot was one of them. But it's a cooperative game, and it's like um, has the traitor aspect, and it's so so good. Um, we we kind of played it wrong, and we had kind of had some weird mixed um, reactions. We we missed a rule or two the first time we played it, and it kind of ruined the game. And then so then we did, it was a long time before we got it back out the next time. And then I think on that one we were you know it's a team it's a cooperative game with a possible traitor in it. And then we're playing the game, and then somebody had to leave and quit halfway through, so we didn't get to finish it. And so, like, that was my two experiences with it until the other day when we actually got to play it, you know, um, all the way through. And let me tell you, this game lives up to its reputation. It's an older game, but um, I really, really enjoyed it. I love the theme. You know, it's, everyone's a different knight of the round table, and you're trying to defend Camelot, you know, and... You've got the Black Knight coming in that you have to like defend against him from like jousting. You have to try to get a, you know go on this quest to get Excalibur. You have to. I'm trying to remember. There's three. You, you got to get the what's it called the the chalice. Oh, like the Grail. Yeah, the Holy Grail. Got some crazy. Yeah, so you got to go on this quest to get the Grail, and then there's some armor, and I can't remember what it is, but some kind of special armor you got to get, and you got to fight the dragon at the end. But anyway, so you got all these like crazy quests going on. You got the Picts and the Saxons that are coming in and trying to, you know, you got to hold off them on each side of the front, and then you've got um, these. I don't know who's actually attacking the castle, but there's these like catapults or. Um, um, siege engines that are coming in you have to defend against those so what's so cool about this is all this stuff's going on but in reality the entire game really is like this hand management like game everybody has this this deck you know, hand of cards and you're it's this like system of trading cards think a little bit like pandemic it's all cooperative you know like i said with the with the possible trader but it's like the Black Knight. The way you do that quest is you like somebody puts their pawn there or their little miniature, and they go there, and now they're working on that. And the way they do that is they just have to have two pair. So like they they have these fight cards is what they're called, and so they can put any two two down on this spot and any two two down on this spot. But they have to be a, you know two pair, and they can only put one card down at a time. But and then you just add up all of their four cards. And whatever that total is, it just has to be higher than the Black Knight's total, right? Oh, cool. And so it's real simple. So then there's like another quest might be like three of a kind um, and a pair, like a full house kind of thing. And then another quest might be just any card you can put. It's just like the total number of cards. I think that's the Excalibur quest. Like, you know, whoever, like the black cards versus the white cards, whichever one's more, you know, it's going to like suck a track. It's like moving it closer to our side versus the other side. And then, you know, one of them's like a, a straight, like one, two, three, four, five. You got to play that and you got to beat the clock on that. Well, so basically it's like every turn there's this black deck. That's like the, you know, the the shadows deck, you know. And you pull, you flip over. At the beginning of your turn, everybody pulls up one card out of that. And that one card is going to contribute to, you know, to the bad guys on some front of all those things I'm talking about. So it's either going to move the Excalibur quest the wrong way. It's going to 
contribute to the Black Knight. It's gonna help, you know hurt you hurt your gold you know, Holy Grail quest. It's gonna mm-hmm. um, add a Pict or a Saxon soldier or add a Trebuchet or whatever they're called the, the little siege engines. So it's this management of how do you deal with all this stuff and who do you send where. And when you play in all cooperative, it's not that bad, right? Because you just mm-hmm. you know you're plotting it out, planning it out. Oh, this is great. But the trick is, at the beginning of the game, somebody could possibly be a traitor. And so when you're playing these, like when you draw a Black Knight card, right, and you play it down, you, if you play it face up where everybody can see what the bad guy's doing, right, mm-hmm. um, that's just it. That Nothing else happens. You go into the next part of the turn. But if you play it face down, you get to draw an extra white card. Like as, That's like the good cards that you want on your hand. So there's this whole trust thing, you know, it's like, well, why are you playing that card face down? Why don't you want us to see what you're putting on the Black Knight? You know, like, it's like, it's a small card. I just want to get another one. We really need this stuff. But you could be the traitor tricking them and putting a big card there and lying about it, trying to get you to fail. Interesting. Right. And so, like, every time a quest finishes, either it passes or, or like, either you succeed or it fails. And if you succeed, um, either way, you put a sword on the round table. And you mm-hmm. put a white sword if you, or a certain number of white swords on, you know, each quest is different, or black swords. And so the point of the game is to have more white swords than black swords, you know, at the end of the game and survive until it's full, you know, for the, for the good guys. And then the trader, once he's found out, he can flip his card over any time and become the trader. And now he controls all the bad guys and it's just becomes crazy at that point. But gosh, this game is so much fun. I want to play it. We play it with three players. Which is a little, little different. It has a slight variant, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like three to six, I believe, maybe three to five, but I can't remember. But I want to play this with more, more players for sure. But um, can't say enough good things about this game. It is just on that one solid playthrough. I mean, it is instantly just shot up in my, you know, top games. I don't know where it would fall right now because I have only played it one good time now. But um, I want to get this back to the table very soon. I thought I was going to play it tonight. I actually took it to my um, sister's house for dinner. We thought we were going to have some other people over. But they wound up watching a movie and didn't have a chance to play it. But that was what I was going to try to get to the table tonight. So um, maybe soon. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Anyway, it's a a really cool game. And it, it would be... I think this game would have been extremely popular and probably... Maybe just as popular and just as well known if it was solely a cooperative game, mm-hmm. but the but the fact that it's got that you know hidden you know traitor aspect to it and it's balanced for that, gosh, that makes this game so good because you're you're skeptical of every single thing somebody else does. You're just like, wait, why are you doing that? You know, it's like you know you because you have this, and it's possible that nobody's the traitor. You know, there's always that possibility that. Because it's always it's one of those things where if there's four players, you put four white cards and one trader card in there, right? So okay. So you could all possibly draw, you know, loyal cards. It's unlikely. There's probably a trader, but you never know. You know, it could be that way. So uh, that was Shadows Over Camelot. That's by Days of Wonder, and really, really enjoyed that game. Unless you want to talk about another game, we can just you know just fall straight into our new topic. Ah, uh, that works for me. Okay, now it's time for our main topic, and 
I'm really not sure what we're going to call this. What, what, what are we calling this today, Phil? Well, um, I guess it's kind of uh, building on the great episode on RPGs that you and Ryan already did uh, a few weeks ago, or a few uh, episodes ago. But uh, while that was a good overview of what a RPG is and, and what, what, what they're about, now we can kind of talk about, well, uh, let's say you want to do your own RPG, like we're trying to do now. What, uh, what do you need to, to do to get ready for that and have a, a fun time with a bunch of people? Well, that's great, but that's way too long for the episode title on, on the podcast where I have to put it on iTunes. So what are we going to call it? I don't know. So you want a GM? So you want a GM? I like that. That'll work. So I want, I want a GM. <laughs> Not really. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Maybe someone else wants to, but I've had my I've had my share. If we go back to Star Wars, I'll do that. But I'm not making any other commitments. I, th- I think you did a great job at Star Wars. And was that really your first time at GMing? Oh gosh, yeah, the first time I'd ever GMed anything, and it was. I enjoyed it. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Maybe when in the RPG episode, but. Um, after the session's over at the end of the night, that five minute recap of everybody talking and laughing and, you know, going, Oh, I can't believe this happened. I can't, you know, when that guy came in and did this, you know, they're talking about like reminiscing about the story that just happened. You know, that, that was what it was all about. You know, that, that five minutes of glory where I felt like people really had a good time and really enjoyed it. Cause the other 95% of the, the time is just nerve wracking and stressful. And <laughs> it was, you know, very very it's a lot more work than people you know think and when you listen to these rpg podcasts um you know it seems so smooth and easy because they're you know they're real produced and they're very prepared and at least the ones i listen to um you mentioned the adventure zone i mean there's a ton of work that goes into that and you know i think that's a lot of people don't realize what the gm or dm has to go go through um, but I got a good heavy dose of reality when I did it, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. I, I definitely enjoy playing more than GM. And I think, I think you should give yourself a hand because the first few times I tried to GM, I crashed and burned terribly. Really? I mean, it, it was embarrassing. Um, so the fact that, uh, you know, everyone had fun and you managed to complete the entire, uh, adventure like that. That's a major accomplishment, and uh, you should be really proud of that. Yeah, um, I've had a few people mention you know, that played with us. Um, I, I felt like my biggest issue was I had these contingencies for it was more of a mystery kind of thing, or there was elements of that you had to kind of solve this, you know, case you were tracking down that bounty hunter or whatever, and um, that whole you got these like multiple locations y'all could go to. And I had these contingencies for if you go to this one first, blah, 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 blah. If you go to this one first, blah, 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 blah. I had them all like written out, you know, well, y'all did it in like a weird order, of course, because <laughs> that's how any, any, you can't come, you can, there's no way you can prepare for the players. And I knew that going in and, and it wasn't like that was a big shock, but it was like, I think I felt like that was my biggest mistake was like the way I handled this. Like, you know, they made jokes about that to me since then is like, oh, y'all want to go to this place? And I'm like, well, it's Roman with guards. Y'all can't go there. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I was like, nope, sorry. Door number two, try that. You know, like I kept like pointing y'all and I was, they said I was a little too obvious that I was trying to point y'all in the different direction. I tried to let y'all have as much freedom as possible, but 
Oh, so hard. That, that, that was what was so hard for me is trying to get y'all back on track and it seemed natural, you know, and I don't, I don't know how to do that very well, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, I really appreciate the, um, the praise there, but I, I didn't feel very confident during it. And afterwards I, I didn't think it was that great myself. Don't be so hard on yourself. I guess that's really the, the crux of being a GM there is that it is really hard. It's a lot easier to be a player. You don't really have to prepare for it. But if if you want to really play RPGs, you'll probably find out that it's a lot easier if you can host your own game than to try to be a player in somebody else's game. So sometimes, just by default, you uh, find yourself in in that position. But then there are other people who are just natural storytellers. Uh, A couple of the people that I've played with before, they're very creative people, and they're world builders, and so they they take to it very naturally. It it still takes a lot of work for them, but they they come out consistently with really good stuff. And then, then there's the rest of us mortals who just kind of, we have our good days and we have our bad days. But the good news is there are things you can do to kind of stack the deck so that you have more of a a chance of having a a good day than a crash and burn day. So the first thing is to, uh, you know, find your players. And, you know, these are friends or uh, uh, one of the the guys that I did a lot of grips with, I just ran into him in a comic book store and he was looking at some of the RPG books and it's like, oh, hey, uh, do you play? And uh, he happened to be a, a GM looking for gamers and so that's how I met Ted. Um, and then, uh, you can go to cons because you've talked about going to some of these, uh, gaming conventions and there's usually like a a gaming table for RPGs, right? Oh yeah. There's always like rooms and rooms of just RPGs going on. Yeah. So that's, that's a great way to, to meet some local people. Um, and then once you have your, your team, then you can talk to them about what kind of game you want to play. I've, I've seen a lot of people talk right about kind of, I, I think they call it the social contract, where you know the, the GM, while can be kind of a, a dictator or an autocrat, you really want to make sure that uh, you have buy-in from the people playing to make sure we all have fun. Uh, yeah, after uh, <clears throat> getting a, a, a group together, you need to pick some kind of game to play. And uh, while you know, D&D is definitely the biggest role-playing game out there. There's tons of other ones, tons of independents that you could play. So there is probably, you know, if you don't like D&D, there's, there's a game uh, out there for about everyone. And there's all kinds of different mechanics. You don't have to use dice. Uh, there are games where they use cards for the conflict resolution, like uh, a Western game called Deadlands. Uh, I remember playing a, a game called uh, Big Eyes, Small Mouth, which was kind of a, an anime type of game where everything was decided by rock, paper, scissors. There's even a diceless game, which I've never played before, but I've heard some people talk about it, uh, based on some fantasy novels by Robert Zelazny called uh, The Chronicles of Amber. And uh, I'm not sure how they do it, but yeah, there's no dice whatsoever in that or cards or anything. Seems weird to kind of take out a little bit of the unpredictability, but people who play it seem to love it. Um, and then, you know, there's, we, we kind of talked about this early with character classes. You know, there are games where you pick a character class, which is also really great if everyone's kind of starting out and they're kind of new to role-playing because it kind of gives them a very 
defined box that they can work within to, to make a character. And then there's more open-ended games like GURPS where you can build a character from scratch. Uh, and then a couple other ones that I'd like to kind of mention is, do you like Doctor Who? I love it. I'm a huge Whovian. Well, uh, there's a game called Time Lords that you might be interested in where everyone kind of plays that they're Time Lords like Doctor Who, but the very interesting thing about this is one of the mechanics is you can create a character based on yourself. Yeah. And so, like, to figure out your strength, you see how heavy of a weight you can pick up and things like that. That's pretty cool. It's, it's cool, unless, you know, you want to play a character that gets you away from yourself, and you can do that too. But, uh, yeah, that, that always seemed kind of interesting. Play that once. One other game I wanted to mention that had a very unique character creation, uh, something they never seen before. It's an older game, but it's still in print, called Traveler. You ever heard of this? I don't think so. It's a sci-fi kind of exploration, trading uh, type of thing in the far future. But the, the neat thing about this is that instead of like rolling up stats and picking skills and things like that, you kind of run this mini-game at the beginning where you take your character through their life. So it's kind of like starting out by playing the game of life before you actually play the game. Yeah. So, you know, say, okay, you're born on, say, a farm planet. Here's your options. You know, you could be a farmer, you could, like, enlist in the military and go off-world and stuff like that. So, okay, well, I pick, I enlist in the military. So then do you stay in the military for a while, or do you get discharged and, you know, become a, a merchant or, like, a big game hunter or something like that? And each step along the way, you kind of, it, it gives you different experiences which translate in terms of your attributes and skills. So you could actually take this to, like, you could you could play a senior citizen who's had this very daring life uh, and you know, all these experiences, or you could play you know a, a wet behind the years kid who's just off world for the first time. Very uh, very interesting way of going about things. It's hmm, interesting, but uh, it just goes to show that there's just kind of a, a game system for everyone. Then. Uh, once you go from that, you can pick a setting. And again, you know, this is something you should talk over with the rest of, of your gaming group. Um, even if you pick something like Dungeons & Dragons, you think, okay, that's just going to be sword and sorcery, right? And uh, that's really not the case. So you could have a bunch of people who decide that they want to play Dungeons & Dragons because they know the mechanics, but you don't have to be stuck in like the world of Faerun and go through dungeons and try to rescue dragons or princesses and all that stuff. Uh, along the uh, life of Dungeons and Dragons, they've come up with all these different worlds, and some of them may not be 5th edition, but you could find them at a used bookshop or something like that and do some tweaks to get them in line with the latest game, or you could go back and, and play some Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, or 3rd Edition, or even 4th Edition. Uh, just whatever everyone's comfortable with. Like, uh, way back in the 80s, there was a Jules Verne-inspired, steampunkish, sci-fi space setting for Dungeons and Dragons called Spelljammer, where everyone kind of takes these boats that have been rigged up to fly into the ether, and uh, you can do all kinds of stuff like that. So. Um, if that's more of your bent, go for that. There's um, D20 Modern, which would be, you know, you could use for urban fantasy or something like that, or D20 Future. 
Dungeons and Dragons had a Star Wars game for a while, and if you'd played like uh, the Knights of the Old Republic video games, you'd get a, a pretty good taste of how those are. Uh, there was a very cool setting for uh, Dungeons and Dragons called Dark Sun that uh, I think they've been using since uh, AD&D and I think is most recently is 4th edition which is think of like Mad Max inspired Dungeons and Dragons so it's post-apocalyptic the world's kind of turning into a desert and the world's dying but people are still trying to uh, get by and uh, then uh, people ported other systems officially to uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, Call of Cthulhu. So you could you could play that instead of use, learning the uh, Chaosium rules. You could use your Dungeons and Dragons rules. So lots of lots of options for everybody, just as long as everyone's on board. Yeah, isn't there an official um, Lord of the Rings D and D right now? Uh, there might be. It wouldn't surprise me. Be kind of funny after all the kind of uh, legal bad blood between the Tolkien estate and uh, Dungeons and Dragons back in the uh, 70s and 80s, where the the Tolkien estate was basically, I think, suing Dungeons and Dragons. It's kind of funny to think that they're finally now partnering up. Pretty sure. Um, I was trying to pull it up right here. Yeah, Adventures in Middle Earth Players, Middle Earth Players Guide, D&D, 5e. Oh, that's really cool. I don't know when it came out or anything. It was pretty recent, maybe last year. Okay. I have to look into that then. Okay. Oh, wanted to, to take a minute and also talk about uh, uh, when you're talking about your team and your, your gaming group. You know, if you're uh, a parent like we are and you want to play with your kids, there's some options. Because you've played uh, um, No Thank You Evil with your kids, right? I have. It was a huge success. We loved it. Yeah, that that seems like uh, really funny. When my kids get a little bit older, I'd like to try that with them. How old are your kids? They're turning five in a week. How many kids do you have? Uh, two. They twins? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I didn't realize that. I've heard you talk about them. I didn't realize they were twins. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a little young, but Lily, actually, when she was four, she played it. Um, so, I mean, she was... You you could do it at that age. I think the I think five is probably the recommended minimum on the box. So um, it wouldn't be as much of a game for you, <laughs> I wouldn't think, because the way they they handle it. But I mean, I would. I mean, she's five and she would definitely play it again with us, and we wouldn't wouldn't shy away from it. But um, I think that I think about seven to ten is probably the bread and butter for that um, system. Yeah, definitely get them hooked young. Well, that's kind of the thing too. The, there's the three different character sheets. There's like easy, medium, and hard, or whatever. As they as they grow up or as they get older, they can keep graduating up to the different character sheet, and that's kind of like the difficulty. So you got one campaign, one everything, but the character sheet itself is what changes as for difficulty, which I think is a neat system. Yeah, they're all pre-printed too in the box for you. So yeah, I like it. Yeah, definitely gonna have to look into that one as they get a little bit older. Yeah, the the hardest thing, I guess, when you're being a GM is finding a story. Uh, you know, if you're one of those natural storytellers, you lucky person, uh, yeah, then this shouldn't be a problem for you. But yeah, everybody else, finding a, a story can be super hard. Um, yeah, I, I have, in in several games, kind of tried to just start things up and figured, well, I'll, I'll kind of 
get an ending eventually. We'll just see how things head up. And those have always been very disappointing GM sessions. And you know, I've learned painfully the hard ways that you need to really figure out some kind of ending. But it can't be super specific because, like you've pointed out, your players are going to figure out some ways to do things unexpectedly. And I, I still remember playing in one uh, one game, one D&D game, where the GM had set up this huge finale with this wizard who was going to summon this dragon lich, and we'd have this really hard combat, and the th the thief, who wasn't me, it was somebody else, he uh, sneaked up and backstabbed the wizard while he was doing his big spiel, killed him. <laughs> so you, you have to prepare the ending, but you, you can't over-prepare. And then you just have to kind of work back. You have to kind of think of each scene, almost like, you know, st uh, putting together a script for a movie. You have these scenes, and each scene has to have a goal, something, some kind of challenge that you want the players to uh, overcome, be it finding out some information, be it killing a monster, being it uh, navigating some traps, so that you, you always have some kind of purpose there, and, and uh, it's not like you're wasting the player's time. So you, you have to then also have these scenes so that they can be rearranged, kind of like what you were doing with Star Wars, so that if they decide to go down the left-hand passage instead of the right-hand passage, but there's something over there in the right-hand passage that they really need, uh, you just have to kind of make sure that it somehow magically pops up in the left-hand passage. That's why I don't really like using maps, because once you kind of have that map drawn out there, that kind of limits some of your flexibility. But if you can just take a really cool room that you designed or something like that and have it show up within reason wherever your players are going, then that kind of makes sure that you, you still can keep things on track. I guess the good thing, though, is especially if you are playing a big system where there's lots of books, is that you can uh, always buy a module that has adventures in there. For sure. And that's that's what um, I did for our Dungeons & Dragons game, because I'm already working on another game and didn't want to have to try to use what little mental resources I have to come up with two totally original stories, especially in a short amount of time. So, uh, you know, we were corresponding by email and said, you know, there's these D&D &D books. Do any of these sound appealing to you? And you basically said, oh, just pick one. And I've always wanted to run the Ravenloft Gothic Horror D&D. &D. And so I picked the Curse of Strahd, which you can find in any books, bookstore. Or in, in this case, I found an, a used copy online because by now it's a couple of years old. And it's... These things have come a long way. Because I remember some of the old D&D &D modules where they'd be maybe 50, 75 pages at most, and they'd be pretty cheaply bound, and they'd have, you know, a short adventure and some stuff like that and some maps, but that was about it. This thing is, no pun intended, a monster. It's over 250 pages. You could club a baby seal with it. <laughs> but while you're paying a good amount for it, so, yeah, try to get it used, boys and girls, um... There are like 14 adventures in here that 
are all fairly sizable and they build on each other and uh, stack into a nice campaign where at the end you're taking on this big bad uh, vampire who's ruling everything. So you're definitely getting your money's worth. And uh, just having a story there, um, even if you're not going to follow it to the letter, you can, you know, kind of like that uh, uh, lady who had the cooking show on the Food Network who had the semi-homemade shtick where she'd buy stuff from the supermarket and, uh, you know, like from the bakery or the deli or something like that and take it home and then do a few things to it to make it a little bit more appealing. Right, right. You can totally do that. Yeah, I think that's actually a very good idea um, is to take a campaign. One thing that I've heard people do, which would be a little harder than, than that, is getting a campaign setting from for a different system and like like something like just to make it it's a way to inspire a unique campaign, like a custom campaign, like like grab something that's totally not even D&D and then just use it for the story, basically. And then it forces you to creatively adapt it to D&D, you know, and then but but you've got the base story, the arc, the resolution, you know, you got all the structure there that it's really all you really need. Or, or even like that guy that we were talking about in another episode where he did the one-off campaigns, little short ones, and like all his one-night um, campaigns were based on episodes of Cheers. You know, he would yeah he would take the the plot and everything about that episode and and apply it that way. Kind of the same idea of you, know, you can really take anything and you know and kind of give you some inspiration and keep you on track. I think is better than just trying to go straight from your head because that can be really really daunting, especially for a newer GM. Yeah, and, and don't feel bad about, you know, that you're ripping off something, you know. You you have to start somewhere. Yeah, I stole a ton from that Age of Empire. Yeah, so I think I've told you all that, that, that the whole setup for our GURPS, that's that's where I got most of it from, or the Edge of the Empire, whatever the name of it is. And um, But I, I kind of adapted it, you know, to my story, but a huge part of it was the big inspiration at the beginning was that, you know, the whole setup. Cool. But I don't feel guilty. <laughs> Yeah, no reason to feel guilty. And, uh, yeah, ad- adapting is the big thing because I mean, not only do you want to kind of adapt the story to make it feel a little bit fresher, but uh, you've got a party here. They've got characters. Um, you know, hopefully they've had some experience putting together characters and they have characters who have backstories that uh, you can use for hooks or they have uh, goals that for their lives that, that you can use to kind of tailor the stories for them and uh, it sounds like that uh, back before i joined you guys in the D game ryan did a good job with that with part of your backstory right oh yeah so you didn't see my father getting murdered you came in after that no i i joined after that but i i remember hearing you guys talk about it on the podcast i mean basically we did the beginner story the same thing they did on the adventure zone the um lost times yeah. of fandalar whatever the name of it is Ryan took us through like that beginning dungeon part, and that was about it. I mean, it was probably two or three sessions, and we were done. Like, he went all on his own at that point. Pretty much from that point on, like, we didn't realize it at the time, but hindsight from that point on, it was all focused on me and my story. You know, I mean, it was all about, I was a dragonborn. It was all green dragonborn, you know, and the clues were there, but I thought it was just coincidence at first. But, you know, looking back, it was... He was he was headed that direction the entire, the entire time. And then the second arc has kind of been Stewart's you know story, which I mean, 
Ryan, I, I, there's no way he's he's dead, right? <laughs> I mean, Ryan's sticking to his guns that Stewart's character got killed and he's permanently dead in the game. But it was so nonchalant the way he just killed him at the end. I don't. Uh, do you, what do you think? Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the old uh, Star Trek Next Generation when they killed off Tasha Yar. Just right, right. and then. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that either. Yeah, he didn't get to give a speech or anything, but just, man. Unless deep down, Stuart quit the game and told Ryan without telling anybody else, and that was Ryan's way of killing off his character. Um, I'm pretty sure there's more to it, and he's going to not be really dead, you know, somehow. But I don't know. I don't think Stu's quit because he's he's already rolled up a, a new character, and he's really excited about him. So Maybe that was part of it. Maybe he wanted to re-roll his character or something. I just I don't know I can't imagine the way he went way, way, the way he went out it was just like bloop I've almost like every time Ryan mentions it I just kind of brush it off I'm like whatever Ryan you know I'm like it's not you know I don't know but he's like no he's really dead and I'm like okay we'll see <laughs> you know I'm just like can't believe him can't trust him that's the GM's prerogative I guess but go ahead like you said uh, if the GM wants to kill you off there's a lot of ways he can do it bad potatoes whatever yeah. <laughs> Oh, but uh, yeah, tailoring things are really important, and uh, you know, in addition to tailoring kind of the story to fit your your characters and and what they're interested in, you can also tailor the rules. I think that's been one of the lessons that was hardest for me to learn, because starting off as a kid, you want to learn the rules and kind of, you know, the rules are the rules. But uh, you know, one of the things I like about uh, RPGs as opposed to board games, although you can do it with board games too, is I think you have a lot more freedom in RPGs to play with the rules. And, uh, you know, even even game systems are pretty good about saying, well, you know, if you, if you want to, you can put in all this complexity. And there's some people who like to, you know, make sure that their characters are eating healthy meals and uh, getting enough sleep and having three healthy bowel movements in order to maintain peak fighting efficiency. But if that's not for you, right. uh, you know, you can do it this way. Different systems have a huge varying degree of complexity and attention to detail like that, like GURPS, like we talked about with it. I mean, that was that was the biggest challenge with me was sorting through all of the information and all of the the stuff available for GURPS. It's just like you know it's overwhelming i I, i'm sticking to my guns i highly highly recommend against gurps as a first time rpg game for player or gm especially gm but um but it was like i mean if you know what you're doing you've got the right guidance and you can do enough research you know it can be done but man like like dnd 5e is just so much easier to get into like it literally took about 10 minutes for me to understand how to play D&D and how to create a character when, when I was introduced to it. And then it took me a good three months of hard research to feel remotely confident in helping someone create a character in GURPS. And I still failed miserably the first few times we had to redo some stuff. You know, so it's like, I mean, there's a lot going on there. But like you said, being able to fill your party out and tailor the rules to them and to your story like with GURPS you know you don't I, I didn't make you I wasn't worried anything about how what y'all were eating or how much sleep hmm. y'all were getting you know I mean like that just seems like why would we struggle with that kind of stuff you know I mean 
Um, and we mentioned this in that last episode, and that's something else. And it kind of goes back to that end of the world thing I was talking about. But I love the idea of like a a survival RPG. I think that would be really cool. Like um, we're actually watching that. Me and my wife are watching that Lost in Space, the new one on Netflix. Have mm. you seen it? I've seen the ads for it. It looks pretty neat. Is it as good as uh, the hype? So good. I mean, I don't know. We're only like four episodes in, but I'm extremely impressed so far. I really, really, really like it. But um, but like that, you know, they're stranded on this island. I mean, you know, I'm sure you know. I mean, this planet. I'm sure you know about the old original one. So oh yeah. So think many like, happy memories of watching that. Right. So if you're in some sort of like, you know, survival situation in an RPG. I could see that being like food and water and shelter. Like that could be really vital to the story, right? Um, so like, you know, keeping up with the rations and when you're in a desert or your water, you know, like how much is left in the canteen and how much they need, you know, um, that could be a real, you know, story point. So I guess that's what I'm getting at is I like to tailor the rules or I tried to in GURPS to what was relevant to the storytelling, right? Like, there's no need for us to talk about where we're getting our water and our food because you know, that's not really pertinent to the story at hand, right? Yeah, I think that's a great philosophy. Everything should be serving the, the story. Oh, here's a question for you. So for D&D, how do you feel about the whole magic system with the spell slots and things like that and having to memorize spells and, and that whole mechanic? Well, I've only ever played 5e, so I don't really have anything to compare that to. Um, but rolling the sorcerer um i know that he has he's the only class i know of that has the flexibility of basically burning a spell slot or creating a spell slot so he has a lot of flexibility on how he what he can cast and number of spells he can cast but um a lot of the classes don't necessarily have to learn you know the spells i don't know if you've explored each class but some of them have, are open to like learning on the fly. Like the is that the wizard? I think they can do that. Yeah, yeah, they can do some of that. Like they can find a spell scroll and, and learn it and add it to their inventory. But uh, I mean, there's some people who kind of hate that whole mechanic. But the good news is uh, there are, if you look on the internet, people have kind of converted it over to like a magic points type of system, like you would see in more of a. a computer or a console type RPG. Yeah. And I think actually the first uh, AD&D game I played, uh, the GM had... When you're saying magic points, you mean like mana almost? Yeah, kind of like mana. So, you know, you would... Every, every spellcaster, be it a divine spellcaster or an arcane, uh, would have so many mana points, magic points, whatever you want to call it. And the higher the level of your spell, the more magic points it would consume. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends. I mean, personally, I think that, like, it's one of those things where anything can work, especially with D&D. I mean, you know, Ryan, house rules, the crit. I mean, that's, like, one of the most basic, you know, rules in D&D, and that's something that I would never, ever think to mess with, you know. But he likes the way he does it, and, and I'm fine with that. Like, it still works fine, you know. I mean, there's no no problem with it at all and so i feel like sure those systems would work fine but I've, I've never had any issue with it with the cantrips and stuff that's another thing is that the the more powerful spellcasters have access to more and more powerful cantrips so those are free and they don't take spell slots so i think that balances out a little bit of that you know like people thinking that uh i guess that's what i was kind of getting from what you were saying is like 
you know a wizard that knows all these spells and he's a you know think like gandalf <laughs> or something like and he oh i'm out of spell slots so and now i can't cast anything right like that's so you know um non-thematic or whatever you know that wouldn't really be the case in any story that we know of like they're not going to actually run out of um you know magic they're not going to forget how to cast a you know simple thing um so i mean you know i think the cantrips maybe you know feel some of that and then like the scrolls too like being able to have some sort of emergency type thing but um and then there's like i mean there's there's potions and things that let you like get a uh, a spell slot back and things you know whatever but <laughs> Yeah, they've definitely know. done a good job uh, overhauling the magic system for for third edition or for fifth edition. Yeah. It's it's come a long way since the early days. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, with all those options, I've never had a problem with it. But I've only played the paladin, and he's not very focused on spells anyway. So I might have a different opinion of it after we finish this campaign with the sorcerer, since he's such a that's all he is is a heavy spellcaster. You know, I hope I don't ever attack anybody with my daggers, <laughs> but we'll see. Because they don't do anything, any damage at all, I don't think. Well, we'll just have to see how good you are at uh, managing your uh, spell resources in the second half of our adventure. Mwahaha. I know, right? Those are kind of what I would call the, the big things to watch out for when being a GM. Anything you'd uh, like to add? Anything I missed or could uh, expand on more? Um, Not that I can mention. Not that I can think of. I mean, you've done a great job. Um anybody who was considering being a GM you know if they listen to this they're going to have a lot better idea of how to get started um maybe just reiterate what me and Ryan said in the other episode is um you're gonna screw up (laughs) oh yeah things are gonna go bad it's gonna go terrible I mean it's gonna just like I'm not talking about you're gonna get a flat tire I'm talking about the car is gonna explode as it's flying off of a of the bridge and you know everything is the bridge is gonna fall too you know like that kind of catastrophe and it's gonna be okay you know that's the thing to remember is it's gonna be fun and they're gonna love it you know no matter how bad it gets because it's gonna be bad you know it's gonna go off the rails um but it's still worth it you know i mean i think even the worst experiences that i had running that gurps campaign um no matter how bad it got and how much of a failure i thought i was at the moment you know it always wound up being okay and everybody seemed like they had a good time and i would do it all again i didn't regret any minute of it you know so i think that's that's what i would want people to take away most from all of this stuff is that just try it you know don't don't you know let your um, fear or um, lack of confidence or anything like that stop you or like Hugh me and him were talking about the social stigmas with you know playing an RPG which it sounds like you've never had those kind of issues because you've been playing it since you were a kid but um, there is those like you know taboo connotations with playing tabletop RPGs and um, you know, I think just embrace it, give it a try. If you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously interested in it some way, um, in some kind of gaming. So I say everyone should try tabletop RPGs at least once. You know, it might not be your cup of tea, but I've never met anyone so far that has tried an RPG and didn't like it. Don't be scared. You know, don't don't let your um, preconceived notions, I guess, or whatever. Uh, yeah that's a good way to put it um don't let that get in the way you know just experience it and have a good time now for kind of a summation since you know you've had experience now being a a new gm what would you say would be if you had to pick like say three or four top skills 
for being a, a good GM, what would you pick? Just anything that would apply to being a GM? Yeah. Yeah, just, just you know, if, if, if you're, you know, thinking, you know, as a GM now, what skills that, that uh, you use to put together the Star Wars game would you say would be the most important? Um, I mean, obvious things are like storytelling and, you know, like improv kind of skills. Um, but I think that if I had to like, if I was creating my character, the GM, Tom, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've got the, the uh, uh, attribute sliders on my screen and, and storytelling was one of them, I would definitely cut my storytelling skill back and put more points into um, organization and preparing, uh, prep, you know, preparation, I guess, research. There's a lot more work in it in that sense, which is a really good thing because, like we were saying, there's a lot of natural storytellers out there, but anybody can can do the homework, you know. And so yeah. I think anybody can be a good GM. I don't think that anybody couldn't. I don't think there's anybody I've ever met that couldn't do it just because of their personality or something. I mean, having an outgoing personality and being a good storyteller helps. Makes it might make it easier in some situations, but um, I think that'd be the biggest thing is someone who can be really organized and do a lot of research. And um, I think that is, I can't I can't overstate that enough. That that's the biggest, most important part I think for me. Um, trying to GM was getting my ducks in a row because if the GM's not prepared, um, really in any sense, if any little part of the whole campaign, if he's not prepared for something, then it can go bad really fast. You know, if, if, you know, if you go, if you get half of your story ready and you're not quite ready, you just need to postpone the, the, the game until you're ready, you know? Um, whereas like you said, the, the, the player doesn't have to really, um, worry. They can just kind of, you know, roll with the punches and learn on the fly. So anyway, I guess that would be my thing is, you know, just the being really organized and doing your homework and being prepared. Um, and then, you know, again, like the the storytelling, that, that's definitely a good part of it. It's just I think it comes second to putting in the hard work. Can't really think of anything else that's like an important skill. Yeah, I think you nailed it there, especially with the uh, preparedness. I mean, I, I guess here I go back to, to cooking shows. I must watch too many cooking shows. But do you ever see like a, one of those cooking shows where, you know, the, the, the chef is about to cook something and they have like everything laid out in front of them? You know, little bowls with spices, and then, you know, the, the knives are over here, and then, you know, these ingredients are over there, and everything's kind of within easy reach, and they can just kind of line up everything and knock it down. That That's like the best analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> All I know is it's making me hungry. You don't want to. You don't want to have to go to the grocery store in the middle of the cooking show, right? Because that's what some GMs would be doing, right? If they're not prepared, not just like having to go to the pantry. I'm talking have to just. I got to go to the grocery store to get this. Come back, maybe even have to go kill the cow to get the the steaks. You know. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. that's a great analogy. Having everything laid out, ready, um, ready to go, um, it makes such a big difference. I mean. It, it's almost embarrassing the number of pages and s- spreadsheets and Google Docs that I had for that Star Wars campaign. Like every night, I would just have pages and pages of things, contingencies, you know, and and it was still struggle with all that, you know. So I think that if I if I was just trying to wing it, now don't get me wrong, I think that somebody could get good enough at GMing that they could do it. They could almost do it just out of their head. 
Um, and you've probably had that experience. I'm not saying that they should, but I'm saying that there's probably people out there that have done it enough and had enough experience that they could run a campaign just, you know, without even preparing. Yeah, those are the guys who are up at like 40th level DMs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but um, but I mean, there, there are people that, but, but, but that's not natural talent. I, I can't no. imagine that is not, that is a hundred percent experience, I think. Yeah. And probably a lot of failures along the way. For sure. For sure. But again, failures are still positive in, the, in these games, I think, because when you fail, you're still having a good time while you're doing it, you know? Yeah. yeah any, any crash that you walk away from is still a, a good one. And I think the other thing I'd throw in there kind of with storytelling is if you find storytelling really daunting, work on your NPCs. Because, I mean, ultimately, these are the people that your players are going to be interacting with. And so if you can give them some three-dimensional, you know, put them together like you'd be putting together a character if you were a player. Uh, And if you can make them as three-dimensional as possible, especially the bad guys, then that'll go a long way to giving your players a story that they can sink their teeth into. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that given character and personality to those NPCs is I, I could say that that's one of the most defining differences in a good, you know, RPG and a, a bad experience because man, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I think about those, the podcasts I listen to, you know, it seems like every character that they introduce, they just bump into just has so much, you know, personality, you know, I mean, I, I think that's what, makes it even more realistic and more engaging for the for the player characters you know as to you know whoever they run into and and that's another thing another trick you could do another tip for a gm is you can have those npcs you know prepared um have like a pool of them ready to go where you've thought it through they've got you know backstories they've got you know uh, motivations or whatever and you can you know copy and paste them wherever you need them you know just use them from that pool you don't have to you know, if you've got an NPC sitting there at the bar and then it's kind of like that red red door, blue door kind of thing. It's like this guy you've got prepared. They're going to meet him today. They might meet him in the bar. They might meet him outside. They might, wherever they, but you're going to introduce this character. So you don't have to, you know, you can kind of pre-set up a few different characters that way and introduce them wherever you need to. And I think that's a good tip and to be real flexible and that kind of stuff. Because it can be daunting because... You know, I don't know how many times when when we were playing, I had like I told you, I had something set up, and then y'all just went a totally different way. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, how am I gonna get on back here? And then it, it was kind of like an aha moment a, a moment at some point where I'm like, oh, I can just you know convert this to like that. I don't even remember what that was. That building, the office building. Oh man, y'all went like to the wrong floor. Y'all went to everything. Like it could not have been worse. Like I had <laughs> everything about that was on the fly. It was totally different. But I, it was like a a gunfight in a um, office building at the top floor or something is where it wound up. But I like that whole thing was supposed to stay in the garage or something. I can't remember. It was like that whole thing was just went to crap in a hurry. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you still know, gave but, us like a minimal, uh, memorable bad guy at the top of it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, there was some danger, and you did a good job of uh, reacting to us, and uh, it didn't really feel like you were scrambling. Right. Well, that was that was a few sessions in, so maybe I had gotten a little better at that point. But what I was getting at though is like one of those characters. Even I don't even know if y'all ever got his name or ever interacted with him much, but um, 
but basically y'all tried to get out of the fight and i think somebody got shot and he was just like screw it and he took his guys and left you know because like his he was an actual character that y'all could have interacted with and i don't remember if y'all did i don't think you did but his motivation was he didn't really care it was just a job for him and he was a coward and as soon as you know everything hit the fan he was just like i don't care y'all can steal whatever you want i'm just getting paid minimum wage here i'm getting out of here you know so um things like that like having you know people don't think about that people think about like oh these guards you know they're gonna just fight to the death to protect this whatever no they're real people you know they might yeah. they have families so when you start thinking about your npcs in that way it makes it way more interesting and more engaging i think like more realistic because like that guy just like getting up i don't even i don't even know if you remember that but y'all were up on the the i think y'all were kind of locked in that that office and they were out in the hallway and um one of them got shot and they were just like we're done <laughs> you know it's like we're not getting paid enough to get shot and they left and then like other people came in but that group you know left and and that was kind of like my motivation like if y'all had you could have teamed up with him was what i was thinking but y'all didn't take advantage of that but um but that you know like having that like real like make them more realistic i guess the, the npcs um, and the enemies, like, you know, that's more interesting. Like Borderlands, I think the, the video game does that really well with their little, like, just some random, like, if you just walk into a room and you got this random guy just shooting at you in a video game, that's not as memorable as the little cutscene with a little bit of personality. They sh splash up his nickname, whatever his name is, and, you know, and Borderlands is like a little 30-second deal, but now you feel like you know that guy already, like, just that little bit. Yeah, you've got a connection. Right, and it's more personal. Now the fight feels more, you know, more connected, yeah. So I try to do like that kind of stuff, but it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> that needs to be the theme. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> but you should do it. It's worth it. You know? Yeah, because like you said, just at, at the end when uh, you've hit that stopping point and everyone's still excited from uh, whatever challenge they just overcame, that's a great feeling. A rush, yeah feels so great what else you got i think that's really about it i mean we're kind of going up to close to the two hour mark here so hopefully that'll be a, enough material I, mean, I could talk a little bit about ravenloft game specifically but then also don't want to spoil it too much we're definitely going to have to have a whole another session besides the one we've already recorded to finish up your your original you know plan don't you think at least one more session yeah uh, originally i wanted to try to do it all in one like three hour session but that turned out to be impractical uh, but i think we could finish the second half of the game in one more of those yeah so i mean what we might do is if we have time if that's if that second session winds up being real short we could do like a little um recap or you know whatever at the end of it or we might do a whole yeah, or we might do a whole nother postmortem, yeah. <laughs> or do a whole nother episode, you know, kind of recapping it and looking back and, and talking about it. Um, that could be fun. Or, I mean, if we get enough of a positive response from this, um, we might keep it going. And like I was talking to you, kind of do our own little um, RPG sub show inside the podcast, you know, like maybe a, you know, once a month or or however often we want to do it, just like a little, you know, focus on rpg specifically um so might have you more more regular if you're interested oh yeah i'd be excited in doing that i mean there's enough uh stuff in this uh, curse of strad book for us to have fun with for a long time and that's without even tailoring it to uh 
to the party and and the kind of stuff that we like to do. Yeah, and we could we could look at it both ways. And um, I actually, listeners out there, I would love any feedback. Um, you can hit us on Facebook, especially us. I might do some polls and things on the Facebook page. And um, but any feedback we can get it off from you guys, that would be great. Um, but what I'm specifically asking here, and I'll put it in the posts, is are y'all would you be more interested and i guess you would really need to hear us our, our next episode so a week from now um you'll be hearing the the first episode but um would you be more interested in us continuing the actual D gameplay um on the podcast or if we continue our game off the air having more of a discussion recap like we could talk about our specific game and talk about more general rpg games kind of like what we're doing kind of like we're doing right now and what we did you know the last two episodes with me and ryan so anyway we'd like we'd love to hear back from you guys and i'll I'll see what kind of feedback i get in that in that way um i know it'd be easier for us to play offline you know off the air and um and just talk about it and discuss things but um but if if we get a good response from the actual gameplay we might want to try to do that some more yeah and and we need fan art fan art yeah it's a great idea well i actually have a friend that um is supposed to be doing some custom album cover art for us so oh neat commission some of that stuff as well because i got i mean i really like our logo now so we're probably gonna stick with it for a while but we might use some some of this custom artwork in other ways you know like on the facebook and the website and things like that we'll post it somewhere might be interesting well, all right. Well, if you don't have anything else, I guess we'll wrap it up. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, the next part of our, our game, and I'm hoping that maybe the listeners will have as much fun listening to us play as we did playing it. Uh, I set the bar pretty high because I had a blast. So I appreciate you running the campaign for us, and I appreciate you coming on helping me out this week. Maybe we can do it many times in the future. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, um, everywhere. Go to whoshuffled.com. Everything is at, at whoshuffled on all the social media. Um, we got Instagram. we got Patreon. Everything. You can find it all at the website. And until next week, I'm Tom Tanner. And I'm Phil Watson. Catch you later. Thanks for listening to Who Shuffled. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at whoshuffled.